This is the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast. He's John Sheeran. I'm Anthony Cazenza. You can get this show on iTunes, on Stitcher, on Google Play, on Spotify. It's also on the Megaphone platform. You can also get it on YouTube. All of our content is there, and you can join us live every episode that we record through our YouTube channel and Google Hangouts. But uh, you can get it there. You can also get all our stuff on CincyJungle.com. We've got a lot of questions, both in the live YouTube chat as well as uh, some that have been queued up for a little while throughout the week. Been, been People have been hitting up the OBI line, so we're going to try and get to those in just a little while towards the end of the show. And you can text us at any point, 949-542-6241 is the number. Uh, we will be taking potentially some calls towards the end of the show if we've got some time and uh, all these questions permit. So you can call us towards the end of the program. Uh, otherwise, text us throughout, and we'll try and get to your question on the air. John, it's time to kind of put our, ourselves on the spot a little bit here. Um, every year, people are looking for that diamond in the rough. Uh, the sleeper picks, the guys that you can get in the middle rounds, the late rounds that can come in and not only be you know a, a role player, an effective starter, maybe even a, a hidden star. Um, now, sleeper is a relative term to a lot of people, you know, Sometimes a late first-round pick to somebody is a sleeper because they weren't expected to be a first-round pick. Um, sometimes it's, you know, the end of day two. Sometimes it's the seventh round, whatever the case may be. But there are varying definitions. I wanted to not just say just in general sleeper picks. I wanted to say I wanted us to talk about sleeper picks as it pertains to the Bengals in terms of their positional needs, uh, what they did and didn't do in free agency, and you know, just overall guys that may be getting overlooked because of other big names at their position in this draft. So I don't know if we want to, you know, we, we maybe go two or three each because uh, we're a little, you know, we, there's only so much time we can talk about mm-hmm. this. But maybe we go back and forth. So I'll let you, I'll let you tee it off here. Do you have one? Uh, Regardless of position, I guess, but do you have one that maybe not a lot of Bengals fans, Bengals outlets are talking, mock drafts are talking about, again, not necessarily for the first round pick, but someone that could come in, maybe a third round pick, a fourth round pick, or later that could come in and really surprise some people, especially early on? Okay. Um, I'll, I'll start with going on the offensive side of the ball. So a lot, there's been a lot of talk this year about tight ends and how deep this tight end class is and how if you don't get one of the Iowa guys in the first round, there's plenty of other guys that you can get on day two, maybe even day three that can that can provide similar production early on in their careers. And the scouting combine was kind of disappointing for a number of tight ends. So I think Irv Smith was one of the more disappointing performances there. He didn't really show off a lot of athleticism, even though he's quite young and has the Alabama pedigree. But one guy who stood out in the combine – and who also stood on the senior bowl was uh, a guy named Foster Foster Morrow. He was a tight end from LSU, and this is going to be shocking, but he didn't really produce at LSU, you know. But you can imagine a pass catcher not putting up prolific numbers on LSU's offense. But it was, it was true. He only counted for, I think, 10%, 11% of LSU's passing offense, which compared to other tight ends is kind of in that starter range, that little below average, around the 50th percentile range for most tight ends. So he wasn't overly productive, but he blew away – he blew away – Every drill at the combine tested at or above the 90th percentile in terms of speed, explosion, and flexibility for his size. And I think that's incredibly important for tight ends and and how we how we can find the next like George Kittle or the next, you know, 
not Travis Kelsey, but other mid round tight ends that end up producing, you know, well into their careers because tight ends are not overly dominant as rookies. They kind of progress into the role as they learn the offense because they're charged with doing a lot of things. You know, they're, they're, they're blocking and pass and run blocking. They're also going up against, you know, safeties and coverage and doing all sorts of things. So it takes a while for them to kind of emulate themselves in the offense. But when you have that elite athleticism at, at all three levels, that really gives you a leg up in your development and helps you produce a little bit more early on. And when you're looking at the Bengals, you have a guy like Yuzomi who you have as like a solid starter. You still have five for years as a one year on a one year contract, but you can't rely on him to stay healthy. So you, you kind of want to have that athletic blocker who can also get some yards after catch to help out Yuzoma. And I think, in the fourth or maybe even fifth round, uh, a guy like Morrow is that athletic high upside tight end that not a lot of people are talking about because of how deep this tight end class is. But I think he, if if there's going to be a next George Kittle type tight end in this class, I think he's probably where you got to look at because he's behind right behind Noah fan is the most athletic, athletic tight end in this class. And I think, his his production capabilities it, it goes beyond what he showed at LSU because of the limitations of that offense. So I will also, and that's a, that's a good pick. Uh, definitely aware of him, and uh, yeah, that's a good pick there. I'm I'm going to stay at this position, and I've, I got to give my brother credit because uh, maybe maybe he had a little bit of alumni homerism here, but um, he pointed me in the direction of this kid that I really didn't know too much about. Uh, his name is Kahale Waring or Waring. W-A-R-R-I-N-G. Uh, about 6'6", 252. The guy ran a 4.67 at the combine uh, at that size. That's that's not that's not too much to sneeze at. Now, that's not blazing fast, but that's decent for that size. Uh, can move a little bit, can catch a little bit. And if you read about him, he only has, I think it was seven career touchdowns, uh, eight career touchdowns with the Aztecs at San Diego State. But a guy that is is one of those guys that if, as he's coming into the NFL, his arc is starting to go. He's at the climbing of his arc. He's not plateauing. He's not show, he's, He hasn't shown his best tape, I guess is what I'm trying to say. And the reason why is because football, he came to football late. And... If you if you read about him, he he was you know he played water polo and basketball and all, all kinds of different sports and those are sports that are obviously different than football. But they those two sports in general are ones where boxing out is a is a big deal. Get catching the the ball, uh, blocking out defenders, being physical in different ways, and it served some tight ends well. Uh, it's it's a little unclear as to where he might be drafted. Um, because he is still kind of a project guy. Now, I'm going to say this, even though he ran a, a decent 40 at 4.67, um, he is not the flex option like a Tyler Eifert. He is not a TJ Hawkinson. He is not, you know, he's not one of these guys that uh, you can you can always put in the slot and he's going to, you know, streak down the field all the time. But he is, he is a guy who will help you out as a blocker. He is a more traditional style tight end, an inline blocker that will help out, chip in the pass game, and move the sticks. Um, and I think he could be a good red zone guy. I don't know that he'll be, ever be a superstar. Uh, you know, as I looked around and, and at various other scouting reports, NFL.com said that he could be a projected starter for a club down the road in terms of his abilities and all of that. Um 
Kahali Waring, that's a guy at, at the tight end spot that I've been made aware of recently and I think is a guy that uh, could could be beneficial to the Bengals, especially because that group seems to always experience injuries and this kid uh, has a lot of upside. Yeah, I, re- I remember hearing his name like right around, I think, the combine when um, Jace Sternberger from Texas A&M kind of disappointed a little bit. He was, a, he was a name that kind of ascended himself, so that's definitely a name to watch during day two. I'll switch over to the defensive side of the ball. Um, pass rusher, I believe is a bigger need for the Bengals than I think most. And early in the draft process, I was an advocate for an edge rusher in the first round. And still, if a guy like a, like a Brian Burns is, is there in the first, at 11th row, I think the Bengals should seriously consider him. But say, say they, you know, they, they table that, uh, position for maybe like round three or four, maybe, maybe specifically round three, because round three seems to be, at least in the Marvin Lewis era, that, that prime spot for a defensive end. And I think, one that should end up being there and should definitely be considered is Max Crosby, um, edge rusher from Eastern Michigan. Um, honestly, when you look at Crosby's and Nick Bosa's athleticism testing, both at their size, it's pretty damn equal in terms of speed, explosion, and flexibility. Crosby's extremely flexible, and that definitely shows up on tape. And you're thinking, okay, Eastern Michigan didn't really play much tough competition. The um, the first tape I saw of him was against Purdue. Again, Purdue's not a powerhouse by any, by any means, but still more talented than Eastern, than Eastern Michigan competition traditionally. And he dominated that game. And, again, Purdue doesn't have any spectacular tackle prospects, but he's just the guy that will just make his mark whenever and, whenever and, and wherever he's lined up. And he mainly lined up. Uh, as strong side defensive end, usually in, in the left end spot, and you can just see that athleticism testing on display in, in each and every snap. And it's kind of a cliche, but he's kind of one of those guys that just doesn't take take plays off. And that's where massively that's where his massive production came from in terms of just playing a ton of snaps, um, both in run defense and pass rushing. And and you'd like to see that athleticism translate onto the field. And you talk about a guy like Jordan Willis, who was also drafted in the third round by the Bengals, who he tested tremendously at the combine for his size, but that athleticism didn't really show up on tape at Kansas State, and it hasn't really translated into the NFL in two years. But Crosby, I think, has more natural athleticism to him. I think he's got tremendous hand usage for a guy who's only 22 years old, and obviously you don't produce at an amazing level like like he did, even if even against you know competition of, of Eastern Michigan. But I think that he, before the combine, he was maybe in that fifth or sixth round range, as kind of like you know one of those surprise sleeper guys. But now I think he has sent himself to that. That, that top 100 discussion, and if the Bengals haven't addressed pass rusher uh, in the first two rounds, I think he's a name that should definitely be on the radar by them because I think he could fill in at along with Carl Lawson as maybe those like nickel pass rushers behind a Carl Stenlepper or a Sam Hubbard and give him some type of burst and flexibility off the edge because that's just an, that's just a variable that they just don't have right now, and especially with Lawson coming off a of torn ACL, it's a lot of questions with their pass rush and just their defensive line in general, and Getting a guy like Crosby who can win with his hands and also win with athleticism. He's proven production, proven athleticism. I think he's a guy that they should definitely keep their eyes on. I like it. I'm going to stick with the the West Coast. And this may not be a sleeper name to some because – you know, if you're if you're a mock draft fiend, you've probably seen this name mentioned to them a couple of times. I know you have mentioned him. I want to give you credit, John. You have mentioned him. I think it was all the way back, maybe when you called in from the Senior Bowl. You may have mentioned this guy, uh, Chuma Adoga, yep. the 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 offensive tackle from USC. And I apologize if I'm stealing him from you here, John. But um, 
when you started mentioning him, I, I had known him just from watching Pac-12 football and watching USC, and I had known him, and I, I wasn't overly enamored with him just in general because the the USC offensive line over the past, uh, in, in 2018, and really starting in 2017, had really taken a step back uh, in terms of what what they've done, what they were able to do in the run game. And obviously Sam Darnold not being there, that, that was an effect just on the offense overall. But uh, this, this is a kid who's probably going to be there in the third round, maybe fourth round. You can get him uh, if you're the Bengals, you know, upper middle parts of those rounds potentially. And you may have an Anthony Collins plus type of player on yeah. your hands. Um, a, a guy who has some uh, some versatility, some flexibility to play either tackle spot, some athleticism, and uh, can be on a roster for a while. I don't know that he will ever be a star player, a starter. I don't know that uh, that he will be a you know a ten year starter on a team. But like an Anthony Collins, maybe even a bit more, he can be a guy that can start well for you in a pinch. He can start in, and not just a game, but a handful of games if you need it. And he's got tools to develop. Um, he, he has he has to add a little bulk, and um, I, I think the the knock on him is that he's he's very able in the pass protection game, uh, but he needs to do a little bit more in the run side of things, which is a polar opposite of some of the other guys, uh, Bobby Hart, Alex Redman, that that the Bengals put out there on the right side of the line last year, but. You know, if they decide to forego a Cody Ford, a Jonah Williams, you know, these guys at the pick 11, maybe even the top of the second round, and they go maybe quarterback, linebacker early, this could be a guy that's in discussion in the third round, fourth round. I hate to say it, if you want to give Bobby Hart a year to, <laughs> to, to stick there at the right tackle spot, you can have this guy to develop if Hart struggles – you can have this guy come off the bench and help you out uh, right tackle. Like I said, he, he has a little flexibility for left tackle, right tackle versatility, I think. And uh, just, just a, it seems like a, one of those decent mid round picks that, that could be on a team for, for a while and, and help out a team, especially from a depth perspective. So um, again, not a household name, not necessarily an unfamiliar name, but one that just is not up, not mentioned with the Juwan Taylors, the Jonah Williams, all those guys. So uh, that's that's another guy for me. Okay, I'll finish it off. Since you went with your school, I'll finish it off with a guy from my school. Love it. Um, I'll stick with the defensive line. I think defensive tackle is probably another position that we could see the Bengals taking somewhere in this draft. Probably not. If not at all over in the first round, maybe not even the second round, the third through fifth round range. Let's just throw out the fourth or fifth round, I guess, for, for this guy. Coming into the season – for the Cincinnati Bearcats, um, their defense ended up really playing really well. Definitely the strength of their team. I think they finished top 20. And coming into the season, it was, it was Marquise Copeland, who was like the front headlining name on the, on the defensive front. And it ended up being Cortez Broaden, who ended up producing at the level that I think a lot of people Copeland thought he was going to produce. And Broaden definitely brought the production relative to Cincinnati's overall uh, defensive line and their overall production. Um, just a tremendous first step. Um, tremendous range, which I think is a problem with the, the Bengals' current crop of defensive tackles. You have guys like uh, Ryan Glasgow and Andrew Billings who also have a good initial jump off the snap, but kind of take themselves out of plays. And wh- whether it be you know short wingspan or short arms, 
their, their overall tackle radius just isn't kind of there. And I don't think that's really an issue with, with Broaden. He's able to put himself in position to make plays at, at and behind the line of scrimmage and end up finishing plays and wrapping up guys, wrapping up uh, running backs behind the, behind the line of gain. Um, so the production's there. He wasn't invited to the combine, unfortunately, but he did test extremely well his pro day. I think he ran near a close five second flat 40 at about 293 pounds and six foot two. So he got, he had the overall athleticism and he also did some decent jumps. So he had the athleticism, he had the production, uh, Cincinnati is definitely not a powerhouse school. So he's not going to get the clout to be a top 100 pick. He might not even be picked until like maybe the sixth or seventh round. But when you're in the fifth round and the analytics checks all the boxes in terms of production, and, and athleticism, and there's solid tapes to go there as well. I think th- those are just the, the things that you're looking for. And if you, they haven't taken a defensive lineman at that point, I think um, Cortez Broughton is a good name to remember. Um, obviously, Taylor should know him because he was, I think, a sophomore when Taylor was there as the director of, of player development there at the University of Cincinnati, so there should be a connection there. Obviously, Doug Roosevelt, who was also in the UC staff, he knows him as well. So I think when the Bengals have their local pro day, Broughton, uh, uh, Broaden will be brought in there and work out for them. So there should be some connections there. And if, again, fifth or sixth round, if they're looking at the board, and then I, I think you should be near the top if they haven't addressed that position yet. Yeah, and I think, um, and I'm going to get to a couple of quick ones actually that are uh, that are from our listeners. So I'm cheating a little bit here, John. I, uh, I hope that's Fair okay. Enough. Fair enough. Um, but I mean, I, th- I think I don't really want to see the Bengals keep three sixth round picks, but yeah. I, th- I think. Five. If- yeah, like yeah. Excuse me. Uh, I, I I just I don't want to see them keep all those picks personally. But I think if they've done some good work in those first handful of rounds, that's where you can get some of these guys in that fifth, sixth round, where you can kind of get a little creative, get these project guys with high upside, and and you know, like like the the kid you were just talking about. So. Um, you know, I, I think at that point, then maybe, you know, you, you try and find a diamond in a rough by using all of those picks. Uh, what, real quickly, we had one from Dan from Tennessee. And by the way, this is not me. This is a West Coast kid. This is not me rec- talking about this one. This is Dan from Tennessee who texted us saying, uh, love love the show. Thanks, Dan. We Thanks, love you Dan. too, buddy. Uh, diehard Bengal fan. Sleeper, Ryan Pope. Offensive tackle from San Diego State. 6'7", 315 pounds. He's, he fluctuates between 315 and 320. But uh, 35 and, and a quarter inch arms, who day. Uh, the, the problem with San Diego State is that they are just not known as a, a high-quality football program. They also play in a weak conference. So a lot of these guys that are that do come out of there just don't get some of the notoriety. But project guy, big, 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 big kid. Um, but project guy, again, one of these guys that, that's probably going to be there towards the end of the draft, maybe undrafted, but I, I don't I don't know about that. But uh, one of those guys that you just take a flyer on, and uh, it's obviously position. It's a position of need. Um, I, I don't think he has, even though there's been a little bit of a trade off between what right tackles and left tackles do in the NFL. I don't know that he is a true left tackle, but. Um, at, at the next level, but I, you know, big kid that I think, uh, you know, you've got some clay to mold there. So that was a good one from Dan from Tennessee and God bless him. Ken Dipple from, uh, who has been, who's in the YouTube chat. He also contacted us this week and told us about this kid last week. There will be a post coming up on 
cincyjungle.com old old bart bart williams right we, we were saying uh he sounded like a professor's name no he's a fake it's a fake name yeah uh, yeah uh grand valley state but you know impressive resume from the kid i think he had 122 total touchdowns including one season where he had 45 touchdown passes um over 10,000 career yards as i did some research per ken's urging uh i uh and and we appreciate it but um it's a guy I, that was just not on my radar, but as I did some research on him, impressive statistics, obviously D2 kid. Uh, he's got some good size and, and all of that. Um, unfortunately, most reports have him at the undrafted stage uh, going forward in the NFL, probably a guy who's going to be a practice squad guy or a guy that looks to latch on a final roster spot, potentially on a team that keeps three quarterbacks instead of two but a guy that uh, may bounce around a little bit towards the towards the first year or two of his career, but could could be a decent backup um, as as thing as he matures and all of that. Like I said, there's a lot of statistics. There's a lot of um, good things to like there on paper, but I just I don't I don't know that that's a guy that's going to be a viable NFL option down the road. But uh, impressive resume, at least from a st- statistical standpoint, even though he's a small school guy and uh, he may be a guy that the bank, if, even if they get another developmental guy, I mean, they may, they're, they're going to keep another one on the practice squad. So um, right. he, he may be a guy there as well. So we, I, I appreciate the heads up on both those guys. I was familiar with Pope a little bit, but uh I, I, you know, and, and I became familiar with Bart Williams after, after Ken uh, told us about him last week, but those are some of the sleepers that we have yours again, John, just list them real quick. So I went Foster Morrow, Max, uh, the Foster Morrow, the tight end from LSU, Max Crosby, the edge rusher from Eastern Michigan, Cortez Broaden, the defensive tackle from the university of Cincinnati. The, the. <laughs> the University of Cincinnati. Yeah, and I had uh, Kahali Waring, the tight end from San Diego State, Chuma Adoga, the offensive lineman from USC, and then we had two other suggestions from our listeners, Ryan Pope, offensive tackle from San Diego State, and Bar- Bartholomew Williams. Bartholomew Williams. Yeah, Bartholomew. That's a, that's a great name. This is the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast. You just heard us talking about some sleepers. There's plenty more. We may even bring it up again as we get closer to the draft. You never know. But those are some of our sleepers to watch in terms of Bengal needs and guys that we have researched a bit about coming into this week. You can get this show on iTunes, on Stitcher, on Spotify, on Google Play, on the Megaphone platform. You can get it on YouTube and cincyjungle.com.